I wonder how many times that we've reassured one another in this past year with what to some who uh, don't know Jesus might think it was a bit of a throwaway line. We've said to each other, he is still on his throne. He's still on his throne. I wonder if you've ever thought about what that means or what does it mean when we face pain or uncertainty as we have been? How can that statement bring us comfort or courage or assurance? If you've read your Bible before you, uh, turn with me, if you would, to Revelation chapter 4. And we're going to read together from Revelation chapter 4. Pardon me. We're going to read the, the whole chapter here. And as I said, we, we began Revelation uh, with this spectacular vision of the Son of Man, this apocalyptic vision. And then we moved into things which were slightly, slightly more understandable. Uh, and we could, we could process and we could think about it logically. And I feel that the last seven weeks has been important for us. Um, scattered though we are, as we come to gather again Easter Sunday to, to think about who we are, think about where we have been, to consider what God would have for us and what he is calling us into. Perhaps there have been things that we've needed to be repenting of ourselves. Perhaps maybe even whenever we gather, we're going to need to confess to one another for ways that we have sinned against one another. Or perhaps it's been things to encourage us, maybe things to, to cheer our hearts, to, to encourage us, but things that we are doing. <laughs> but then we come now and we're looking up to Easter and we're going to consider the cross at Easter. But as we do, we're going to consider the Lamb of God who, who, who takes away the sin of the world. There's a picture in Revelation of the lamb slain, a bloody lamb, um, blood uh, atoning for our sin. And we're going to think about that on Good Friday and Easter Sunday. So we're going to do Easter a wee bit differently. We're thinking about Revelation at Easter. But in anticipation of that on Good Friday and Easter Sunday, we're going to read together this word picture of the throne room in heaven from Revelation chapter 4. Hopefully you've been able to read this already if you got my message this morning, but maybe just we'll read this slowly. There's a lot here and it's quite awe-inspiring. So let's read together from Revelation chapter 4. This is John. After this, after the seven letters, after this I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which I heard uh, speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And around the throne were 24 thrones and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature was like a lion. 
the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings and full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honour and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Amen. Where is God? I wonder if those words have escaped your lips over the past year. And we have asked, and we've encouraged each other to ask that question, to challenge us and to encourage us. And we're going to ask that question one more time today. Where is God? Perhaps the response you have given to others is he is still on his throne. In the midst of sickness, pain, uncertainty, he is still on his throne. In the midst of a global pandemic, he he is still on his throne. He is reigning and he is ruling. And we find in Revelation chapter 4, it's not disconnected from what has gone before. As we've considered the seven letters to the seven churches, we've considered the churches suffering their pain, the perseverance. And so it's into that place of worry, anxiety, temptation, or fear that John reveals to the church just where God is. This is a word of comfort. It's a word of confidence. And as we reflect this afternoon, we notice that there are three things that I would like to draw your attention to. The first thing is the dazzling account of the throne room. And then our eyes will fall upon the one who is seated upon the throne. And finally, we will consider what the appropriate response is to to seeing such glory as we see that those who are surrounding the throne, worshipping, bowing down, falling down at the one who is seated upon the throne. The throne room. The first thing we have to say after reading Revelation 4 is, wow. Am I right? Wow. How amazing. How incredible it is. We read that after John wrote to the seven churches and he was called up to see what would take place after this. Verse 1. After what? After the suffering, the waiting, after the longing. And he is given a glimpse of what is to come. The glory of God. It's almost like the curtain has been pulled back. The veil that protects us from the, the, the glory of God is just is peeled back. And indeed, what a glorious scene he, he, he captures here. And it speaks of comfort and assurance to every weary Christian soul. 
What a dazzling display. I wonder if you noticed whenever I was reading there in John's language, if you didn't, keep your Bible open and, and flick back and have a look. What does he say? And how does he say it? Doesn't he say this had the appearance of? Doesn't he say this is, it, it was almost as if it looked like? Why does John talk this way? That's a very strange way to talk. Even John, who this vision, who this revelation was revealed to, couldn't even accurately record for us the splendor of this throne room. The best that he can do is to try and share with us what has been revealed to him as supernatural in terms of things that are to him and to us that are natural. We understand what a lion is like, or an ox, or an eagle. But he says these are things that, that look like it. They're not. They're grander, they're beautiful, they're, they're more majestic. But he can't even fathom about how to put this into words. Now you will know as I do that there are those who will take that scripture and will go at it as if it's a puzzle or it's a code to be cracked. And they will try and attach a different significance to, to each detail. But these wonders are, they're beyond our comprehension. And that is okay. It's okay. I think it is awesome that we see similarities and see things which are familiar to us from the Bible here. Like what we read earlier on in Isaiah chapter 6, uh, like we read in Ezekiel in chapter 1 of Ezekiel of the prophecy of the glory of the Lord, we see similarities there here. Or maybe the rainbow does not remind us in Genesis 9 of the covenant that God made with all mankind in the times of Noah. Or how those rumbling sounds remind us of the similarities when God appeared on Mount Sinai. But I believe that that's not where our attention is being drawn. We're not to dissect this revelation like we would a scientific experiment. Be honest with me. Let me ask you. How did you feel, maybe when you heard it or when you read it yourself, how did you feel? Were you filled with a sense of, of wonder, of amazement, of awe, of an, an enticement, of praise? Yes, of course you were. And that's what it is about. All of these phenomenons, wonders, signs, they all set us up to declare the triumph of God. For the first readers and for us today, this allows us to see and understand our struggles in the context of God's power and authority. John himself can't fully grasp or put into words. So how much more would we struggle to dissect and to understand these things? But our natural reaction that we have to the supernatural, our natural reaction to the supernatural is the appropriate response. It's to say, wow, wow. Dazzling bright, like precious light-giving jewels, awe-inspiring surroundings and sounds. Wow, the heavenly throne room. I wonder how you would respond if, if you find yourself in, in the place of John. I wonder what you would do, I wonder what you would say. But we don't have to wait too far because there are those who are surrounding the throne and we're going to think about those who are surrounding. We're going to think about their reaction in a moment. But first, let's think about the one who is seated on the throne. I mean, like, isn't this incredible? Isn't this, this picture in Revelation 4? 
Isn't it wonderful? And how kind God is to, to give John to, to, to share with us this view so that whenever we're going through difficult times, we can look and we can see and we can remember that he is on the throne. We read here in verse two, behold, a throne stood in heaven and with one who is seated on the throne. John's focus turns from the surrounding of the throne room to the one who is on the throne, the central focus in this revelation. And again, a dazzling display. We see the one to whom we worship revealed in glory and majesty, seated on the throne, the one in authority. Ah, <laughs> amazing. He is seated. He is seated. This is not a picture of God as, as anxious or worried or indecisive. Unlike us, a pandemic is not going to knock him off. This is not coming as a surprise. God is seated. He's not scurrying. He is seated. And from his throne, he rules and he reigns in power and in majesty and glory. Notice that what we discover about the one who is seated in the throne here in our scripture reading. He is holy. Verse 8. No account, I don't know why I'm laughing. No account of God is appropriate without a declaration of this is very much his very nature. That he is holy. He is perfect. He is true. He is just. He is sinless. And verse 8 brings us so much reassurance, doesn't it? He is eternal, unchanging, infinite. Revelation 4 verse 8. He was and is and is to come. Amen. Amen. And so is his rule. That is his rule. Eternal, unchangeable. Over all things. At all times. Always and forever. How incredible is this picture we have. Wow. I, I, I struggle to conceive this. This wonder. This is mind-blowing when we allow our thoughts to reflect upon these things. Verse 11 calls to our mind his work in the world. He is the creator of all things. He's the sustainer of all things. I mean, wow, wow. I'm not seeking to try and give an explanation of all these things this morning. Time wouldn't allow. <laughs> if we had a, a month of Sundays, time would not allow. But what I want to do this morning is to, to invite you to, to step into God's words, to allow God's word to blow the cobwebs out of your mind. Any small view we have of God, we need to get rid of it, guys. We need to repent and get rid of it and give God the honor and glory that is due his name. He knows all things. He is in all things. He creates and sustains and his will is perfect and that blows our mind. Our minds can't contain or understand God's will, his plans. Sometimes we cry, where is God? And that's appropriate. It's appropriate for us. As long as it leads us back here to Revelation 4. So we look and see. He is reigning. He's not scurrying. He's not scurrying. He is seated. He knows. And his plans are for good. Even those things that are done against us, God can turn for our benefits. Why, Lord? Hi. You and I know that there are many things that we will not understand. <laughs> and I too have many questions. But that's okay. That's okay. 
just because we don't fully understand God's will does not mean that it's not perfect. Just because we don't understand doesn't mean that it's not true. He is the one who sits in the throne, who reigns, who rules, who provides, who sustains. What a saviour, what a sight. And then finally, we see, we see those who are surrounding the throne. We see how they react, how they interact with the one who is seated upon the throne. We find another remarkable account. As John describes in the best way that he can of these four living creatures. Now, I don't know about you, but maybe you've seen in shops or on the internet or pictures or artwork of, of these living creatures. I would urge great caution because lest we settle, as I say, for a small God, we don't want to settle for a small view of what has been revealed to John, idolatrously small. One thing is clear from John's natural descriptions of the supernatural is that this would have been shocking. I think I would have been terrified. Some argue and suggest that these things, they represent all the animals who are created on earth. Others will have alternative opinions and interpretations. But what is clear to us, clear to anyone, is the response before the one who is seated. And what is it? It's to cry. Revelation 4 verse 8, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, day and night, never ceasing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. This is the appropriate response to the one on the throne. Awe, worship, and honor. But do you notice that there were others there who were also surrounding the throne? Again, many scholars see this as a cryptic clue and they're trying to work out who the 24 are. Who are the 24 elders? Why are there 24? Most commentators suggest this is symbolic number. It's made up of two sets of 12. And they suggest symbolism of 12 tribes of Israel, 12 apostles of Jesus, representing the whole church. <laughs> Fascinating, but again, I don't want this to get distracted or caught up focusing on the wrong thing. Notice their response. Notice who they are. They find them robed in white, a mark of forgiveness. Those who have had their sins atoned for. <laughs> I asked earlier, what might our response be before the throne? <laughs> My response would be, would be giddy. <laughs> as maybe I feel at the minute. But here we find the correct response. It's to buy, it's to worship, it's to glorify, it's to honor, it's to celebrate. And we see such a powerful picture, such a humble act here of these kings, or, or these, these elders with the crowns, laying down their crowns. Isn't that what we sang earlier together in that great hymn? Laying down their crowns. Why? Because verse 11 tells us that he is worthy that he alone is worthy. He alone is worthy to receive glory and honor and power. How else are we to respond? We're going to pick this up again on Good Friday and on Easter Sunday as well. But folks, as we reflect this morning, I pray that God's Spirit might be speaking to you, calling to you, working in your heart and be gripping your heart and cause it to burn with excitement and with anticipation. I'd like you to read again, Revelation 4 again. We consider the glory, the wonders of the heavenly throne room. 
I pray that the Holy Spirit might write these assurances upon your heart that the, the Lord is seated. He's not scurrying. He is ruling in authority. Even when we don't understand why or how things are happening, the Word tells us that His ways are good, they're just, and they're true. And I pray that the Spirit might prompt you to respond appropriately, laying down your crime, laying down your pride, your embarrassments, your boasts, and offer to Him alone your glory, your honor, and your praise. It's come to close. We ask that question one last time. Where is God? He is on his throne, ruling and reigning. Pardon me. As we come up to Easter, um, we're confronted by the truth of he who is that reigns. And it blows our mind for us to think that the one who reigns is the one who roams. The one who reigns is the one who roams. Most religions will have some alternative to heaven. Some will have nirvana or whatever way you want to put it. Every religion sets up their followers a way to get there. Every other religion has a man in the gutter, a man in the gutter trying to figure out how to get up there. What's distinctive about us as Jesus' disciples, as Jesus' followers, we have heaven coming down into the gutter. We have heaven coming down, stepping down to rescue. This is the wonder at Easter time, again, we'll pick this up on Good Friday, that God came to rescue, to save, to restore. Jesus, fully God, veiled in flesh, perfect in holiness, takes upon himself the sin of the world as a lamb was slain in our place to ensure that justice was done for our sin. Romans 8, 34 says, Christ Jesus is the one who died. But more than that, who was raised and who's at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. <laughs> we'll pause. Always leave them wanting more. Isn't that what the show business ones tell you? We'll pick this up again. We'll think more on these things on Good Friday. But let's, let's take a time. to let's, let's respond in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your glory. Father, we thank you for your, your majesty, your power, your authority. Father, we confess when we have had small views of you, when we have thought little of our sin, when we have lacked the, the invitation to repent and to walk in freedom. Father, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your patience. Father, we thank you that, that you are at work Father, you're building your kingdom. And like we thought about Babylon, like we thought about other nations around the world, they will rise and they will fall. But you've established a kingdom that will, that will, will never, that will endure. And Father, we thank you for Jesus. Father, as we reflect upon your word, Father, we thank you for the picture that we have in, in, in Revelation 4. Lord, we thank you for, for the comfort that this is to, to those who are weary, to those who are burdened. Father, for those who are asking why, who are asking where, Father, we place our trust in you. Father, we confess that you are on your throne. Even though, Lord, we might not understand why, 
or high, Father, we submit to your will. Father, I pray that, that your spirit may grip our hearts today and cause them to burn with excitement and anticipation as we think about the wonder of the heavenly throne room. We thank you that we can come and bow before you because of Jesus, our great high priest. But Lord, I pray that your spirit would burn those words of promise, those words of assurance within our hearts, on our souls. And Father, we pray that the the spirit might lead us to respond appropriately in awe and worship as we lay down our, our crowns, our prides, our boasts, and offer to you alone our glory, our honor, and our praise. Father, we ask these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm not planning to apologize for being overcome this morning. Um, I'm just so thankful for this picture. What a wonderful picture we have. If you've been struck, if you've been overwhelmed by Revelation 4, would you please speak to me? Would you please phone me today? I would love to talk to you. I'd love to pray with you. Um, But we're going to finish our time together by doing what, which is the appropriate way, is leading us into joy. How good God is. How good God is to us. And he is sovereign. He is in control. And he is on the, where is God? Let's sing together our final hymn. Let's offer him all the glory, honor, and praise that is due his name. Let's sing together the words, Behold our God. one another with the words of benediction and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy 